Welcome on board the Leadership of Fools. We're about to hoist the mainsails. We've got some business dilemmas to discuss. I'm excited. Ahoy! Today's episode is our final one for season one. We've called it Next Gen Leadership. We revisit three of our past dilemmas. Number one, being yourself as a leader. Number two, teaching innovation. Number three, challenges of change. And instead of hearing from established executives, we hear from five emerging leaders. Today's guests, Anusha Vijay, Ben Lemon, David Henderson, Gina McCartney, and Damien Zara. As you will hear, they are passionate, ready, already challenging norms, and committed to creating more inclusive and dynamic organizations. It's a good one. Welcome on board the Leadership of Fools. We've got a very special episode here today. It's not a live episode, but we do have a rotating panel of guests. We're just cramming everyone. They're arriving via ferry and uh, jumping into the hot seats uh, to just see what we can see, see, see when we uh, have a chat to the up and coming generation of leaders. This is the these are the hot ticket items on the, um, the up and coming top 10 leaders to look out for, in my mind. Um, there's no official list, guys. Don't go Googling it. Uh, it's just an, a list that only exists in my brain. Uh, but joining me straight away on this Leadership of Fools episode, always keeping me afloat, it's Colin Beattie. Oh, thanks so much, Rick Brown. And it is very exciting today to have a rotating crew Yeah, uh, and some fresh blood. Is that... Yeah, I mean, it's macabre. It's a macabre way of putting it, but I yeah. think it's apt in this circumstance. Yeah. You've, you've chosen wisely. Um, just to warm you up, Colin, look, what excites you about training the next generation of leaders? You're always training leaders. You're responsible pretty much for the whole leadership situation in this country, <laughs> as far as I understand it. Uh, what excites you about training the up-and-coming leaders? Uh, that's it. That's the end of my question. <laughs> right. Um, what excites me is how holistic their thinking is, so they are not just driven by dollars and cents. They're mm-hmm. driven by purpose. They're driven by humanity. Uh, they've you know, typically grown in a generation of being very digitally and technical uh, savvy. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's exciting. It's really exciting. What scares you, Colin? What scares uh, what you? What scares you? These young that bucks? I will be totally irrelevant and obsolete. Um, it scares everyone. We've just got to embrace that, that's Colin. Right, that's right. That's but, we, I, but I'm embracing it for the moment. Beautiful. Uh, and speaking of up-and-coming leadership talent, uh, just on the, joining us on the ship for the very first time, it is Anusha Vijay. Hello. Thank you. And I'm very excited to be here today. Uh, so I've got to warm you up with the question. It's slightly different for you because you're not training the next generation of leaders. You are part of the next generation of leaders. What excites you about being part of that generation? Um, look, so there's a bit of vision that I have on leadership and obviously across generational times, we have our own change in that form. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to get my visions out there, get followers on board, take it through the journey together and shape the new generation of what a corporate world should look like. It's just a wide open world of potential. Oh, <laughs> blank well, canvas so. stuff. Yeah. Since you've put it out there, I'm yeah. top 10 leaders now. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. In my mind, in my mind. And, but to be fair, my mind is... It's, it's not best practice. That's all I'm saying. Uh, what scares you, though? What scares you, Anusha? I have to echo a bit of what Colin said. So, aging and not being relevant is one of the biggest fears. So. Oh, already worrying. Yeah, already worrying. Um, obviously, times are changing so rapidly fast these days, and being in the game is quite important for all leaders to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, just not losing your niche there. No, uh, find that niche. What did you mean by that being in the game? Yeah, so... Always keeping up with time, what's out there, what's fresh, what's the idea. So keeping relevant, yeah. keeping mm-hmm. ahead of it. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, and rounding out the first uh, rotation, it's Ben Lemon. Hi, Rick. Thanks. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. No, thank you. Uh, you've swum out uh, through choppy waters to get on board and um, we appreciate it. We didn't even offer you a towel, uh, but we do offer you a warm-up question. Um, it's, uh, as you've probably heard several times already, what excites you about being part of the next generation of leaders, Ben Lemon? It's a good question. Um, oh, look, I think just about change. Like I think if you look at the rate of change in the last five years versus the five years before that and the mm. five years before that, it's just getting quicker and quicker and mm. who knows what the world's going to look like. You've got to be nimble these days. It's like business parkour out there. You're just always whoo, jumping from ledge to ledge, hoping yeah. for the best. Yeah. Uh, what scares you though? Um, I think being less technically proficient. So what I mean by that is you've got these generations coming through that mm. know stuff way better than you ever will. Yeah, they all had laptops and at primary school. I mean, they are, they're going to oh, slay the game. I, it's, it's, it's 
frightening. Yeah. So, you know, again, probably to echo the same points is what, where does that leave you? So, mm. you know, less about the hard skills and more about how to just corral their enthusiasm and energy. The ceaseless march of time seems to bother us all, doesn't it? It's all yeah. well and good being part of the next generation, but you know there's a generation coming up underneath you and it's only a matter of time before you're but old I, I, and cynical. I remain convinced it uh, leadership, particularly senior leadership and executives, it remains about wisdom and uh, therefore the judgment calls we need to make. Mm. And uh, hopefully wisdom still comes through experience, at least through experience, if not age. Yes, you've got a transition from being the up-and-comers to being the wise uh, the wise heads. Yes, that's right. Yes. And how you manage that transition is all important. Mm. Otherwise, you'll drop out of my top ten list and no <laughs> one wants that. <laughs> now, Colin, do you think... Um is it more age or is it more experience? And do you think uh, age is affected? No, 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 definitely experience. Mm. Um, definitely experience. I, I've, I've absolutely met people that you know are, are young in age mm. and wise and experienced in terms of throwing themselves outside of their comfort zones and taking on new challenges. They've crammed more in. They've got yeah. more time on their hands. Yeah. They're using Adderall. That's what I reckon. <laughs> right. <laughs> they never sleep. Um, let's move into our dilemma uh, while we've got you here on board. Our first dilemma is um, it's should you really be yourself at work? How authentic should you really be? So it's about authenticity. I should point out we're tackling issues that we've um, we've tackled in previous episodes. We're trying to get the fresh take on these um, issues that we've discussed. So if you're thinking, wait a minute, we've heard about authenticity, not not in this not in this way, not through these eyes. You haven't. Absolutely. Um, I, I'll invite either of you, Ben. Your 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 sense of that question. Yeah, it's uh, the the obvious easy way to answer it is of course. Right, and I think um, just be you know, yourself. I, I yeah, I, I did the maths the other day, and this sounds quite sad, but if you think about the amount of time you should be sleeping mm-hmm. and the amount of time you should be at work and are at work these days, half of your waking life is spent at work. Mm. And if you can't be yourself and you don't have an environment where you can be yourself, then there's a real problem, right? Because it's a pretty sad existence. Yeah, when are you going to be yourself if not where you're spending most of your life? That's it. That's it. <laughs> did and you I, just do the maths? I actually just, because I've never stopped and thought about it, how much time do I spend at work? And then you, you look at it that way and you go, if half of your life is spent at work, you know, you want to be sure as hell you're in the right place, right? Yeah. So look, This is a topic that's very close to my heart as well. And um, when I started on the journey of leadership, I was actually told to potentially lead by fear, lead by rules and guidance. But I was very adamant on, nope, that's not the way that I want to choose. And being yourself is exactly how you should be as well. Yeah. Wow. So I'm intrigued. So there was some modeling or some uh, guidance early on that said rules, yeah. guidelines, and even fear. Yeah. Um, was a way of, of leading. And you, you bucked that trend right from the very start. Yep. Like um, there was an element of you feeling uncomfortable about that? Yeah, ve- quite uncomfortable in fact. But obviously I know uh, obvious it was noticeable that it was a generational difference as well. Maybe yes. Perhaps at a point in time in the past that was required. Um, and in my mind, I don't see that need anymore. Um, in fact, a number of relationships that I have at work is strongly built by being myself. Right. Yeah. Right. I think there's an interesting point in that. Like, I guess you've got an age thing. And, you know, when you become, I guess, more confident in yourself and who you are, and I think it's probably, if you think about generations coming through, how do you get them there quicker? You know, and I think reflecting on that question is about, you know, if you want everyone to come to work and be authentic, because then it links to that topic of diversity. And you go, well, you ask people, you're trying to build diverse teams, but then do you want them to come to work and go, now I want them to reform to this corporate norm? It's like, well, what's the point? Yeah. It's actually just counterproductive. Yes, there's no point having diversity if that diversity is squashed into a mould, a preset mould. Uh, oh, but what? Yeah, it, it happens. Um, do either of you have a sense as to why it still happens, that sense of, um, yeah, we're talking about diversity, but the truth is we want you to follow the p- same pathway. Yeah, I think it's the way people get rewarded, right? Like so, you know, it's obviously an easy thing as kind of a manager or as a leader to kind of, you know, bring people on board that just follow and mimic, I guess, your personality and style. And I think to be challenged is hard. But, you know, to be accepting of challenge is probably where you get the breakthrough that actually my way of thinking is not always the right way of thinking. And, you know, if you can keep the door open to be constantly challenged, you get to a better result. And I think... You know, you do see leaders out there that, you know, when people challenge them, especially in public forums or meetings, it's obviously, you know, absolutely not acceptable. So you see people mimic the behaviour of, I guess, that leader and everyone just becomes that person. Yeah, and we get stuck in those generational, like like you say, when you were you were sort of instructed or 
or led to believe that the, the way you should be doing it is to follow these rules and to have the, the cookie cutter approach or to, to lead by through this way, that it's the way it always been done. And you were willing to break that mold, but not everyone would be, um, and which is how these things perpetuate. Uh, so I guess it's, it all comes down to cultural shift in the end, doesn't it? So many things do. Um, to encourage diversity in um, personality and to encourage an environment where that's going to be rewarded instead of conforming uh, or... Yeah, I guess it's finding the ways to get the best out of people without forcing them to lose who they are. Yeah, and I think um, I think one of you touched on organisational shift as well. And obviously, if historic um, experience or culture of the company is set, has set that tone, it takes a few people, and I'm going to steal your favourite word here, Colin, to leapfrog and change the game a bit. Yes. Um, and once you have a few people doing that, it can really shift the paradigm of the organizational culture as well yeah and and i think it's really important what you're saying there it's sometimes unlikely that one person on their own will be able to um, make that sort of uh, transformative cultural change Mm. but galvanizing a group of people to say actually there's more to life than this and uh we we actually recruited we went out of our way to recruit diverse thinking and now Mm. we're not even creating an environment for that I reckon it's worth putting up a laminate of the the mathematical breakdown of how much time people spend at work <laughs> just to let them know. Look, this this is this is how much time you're actually going to be here. You better think it through. Have everyone, some fun. Yeah, everyone That's here it. better That's be it. happy to be here and be yourselves. Uh, otherwise, your, your life is going to be frittered away. When, when does it backfire, though? Um, so, um, let me throw a couple of examples of that out at you. Uh, we have. We now have in our lives, and we are now so conscious of the prevalence of mental health issues, of uh, you know challenges. In fact, sometimes people who are emerging executives are in their 30s and they're going through relationships, getting mm. married, mm. having babies, buying houses. And um, if you start to bring all of that to work... Yeah. Um, and also, you've got to be careful of it being used as an excuse for bad behaviours, I guess, um, that any behaviours that don't fit in with the company line, but you, you put it on, to, well, this is just me, yeah. uh, you know, like it or lump it. Yeah. Um, you, you know, you, didn't, you don't want me to conform, but this is, this is how I want to do things. Then how do you start, uh, I guess, shaping ba- behaviours that are not necessarily conducive to the culture or promoting a good culture because yeah. they're saying this is their individual way of doing things. So it's, it's, I guess it's a, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Individuality <laughs> has been throughout the ages. That's right. <laughs> Um, I had a thought about that one and you kind of think, you know, that that whole concept of, yes, this is me at work. You kind of sit there and look at it and go, well, if that's you at work and you use that as an excuse, well, maybe you should think about you as a human being, you know. And that, that question about when people check in to work and they put this kind of, you know, corporate mask on, what are they removing that's so bad that they can't bring to work? Maybe you've got to look at your life and actually go and fix that and yeah. spend the time on fixing that because yeah. Yeah. if Just you can't bring it to work, there's yeah. a problem. Yeah. So does choosing for character become even more important in terms of um, you got me? You just got me thinking, like because we're we're really saying that that character sustains whether I'm at work or at home. Uh, Wholeheartedly, I sort of have kind of just a bit of a mantra when you recruit, you know, attitude over ability, because you know, again, that question about in five years' time the world's going to be a different place. It's not about your technical skill, but how do you front into that, and what sort of behaviours do you bring to the table, and, and model that for other people. And I think there's almost only a nod to that or in times gone by, there's only been a nod to sort of attitude or, you know, there's, you've got references on your CV and they call you, but if they're on the CV, they're going to say good things about you. It's hard to get a sense of who people really are until you work with them. Um, I think we've touched on other podcasts about the need to, you know, employ a lot of people and get them into your culture and then... see which ones fit into that culture after an extended amount of time. Yeah, Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell, and I, I, I don't know whether he's the original source of this, but said it should almost be easier to be recruited uh, but harder to stay at an, at an organisation. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like an agile methodology that says we're happy to experiment um, but it's not always – the fit is not always going to be good. We, mm-hmm. we kind of want to test and experiment with this. Yeah. 
personality and, and that if we're going to put a premium on the individual, then people are going to find ways to assess the individual more strictly. So perhaps China's got it right. We just need some sort of ranking system about how you behave. We just need to watch people a lot more frequently. Rick, I'm really worried about you today. Yeah. No, I'm, all, I'm on board. With I'm on board, big brother. That's all I'm saying. If we could get some sort of big brother approach. You've got top ten list in your head. You've got... Oh, so we speak about culture fit by doing... So you can say an organization and when you're recruiting, you want to find that culture fit. But in one, so let's say a team of 10, you still need a different culture fit from each 10 individuals to bring it all together. Yeah. So there's not one answer, I don't think, that conforms to all. Mm. And maybe you have someone who is authentic in a certain way, but then the other person has to balance out. Some Something has to work. Yeah. Um, yin yeah. and yang. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, and dif- difference. I mean, let's get, the, the world is so incredibly different and if we start, I mean, again, this has been thematically something we've talked about on the, on the podcast, but I think the topic of diversity is almost over to the extent of let's get into the inclusivity part of it, mm. which is which is code for are we creating an environment whereby people, the, diverse, the diversity could actually thrive, mm-hmm. the difference can thrive. Mm. The decision-making is better because we are so different. Um, we are heading to the end of the first leg of our journey yeah. uh, on, on this cruise. Um, so we've, I mean, we've opened up a Pandora's box of ideas. <laughs> I feel like we've only, we've only just started scraping the surface of the pros and cons of individuality in the workplace, authenticity. Uh, what, have you, what have you taken from all this, Colin? Well, I, I almost ask a, you know, probably a, a final call to action from our crew members. Is there... Uh, the audience out there is typically emerging leaders. Your message to them when it comes to authenticity is what, Ben? Uh, look, create an environment where people can bring themselves to work. And, you know, yes, there's an argument about whole, selves, uh, whole self, leave your bad self at home on a bad day. But, you know, allow people to come to work and put their own ideas and personalities forward and you'll just get a better result. Yeah. And Anusha, you were incredibly passionate about this topic. Not that you weren't, Ben, just to be clear. <laughs> ben was mildly passionate. Dial it up next passionate. time. I'll Adequately right. passionate. Yeah, that's, that's Ben's right. motto. That's right. You're very passionate about this. So what's your, you know, messaging around this? I think just give it a go. You should be yourself at work and it's a test and see how you go face. Don't go guns blazing in the first day um shine through a bit here and there and eventually roll out a bit more of yourself drip um, feed your individuality yeah, drip feed. <laughs> and also drip feed but be self-aware of who the audience is what the situation situation is as well we've already come up with the name of the podcast drip feed your individuality I love yeah it. i like it fantastic thank uh, you thank you so much for coming on board no great, the lifeboats, great to be here lifeboats are to your right Welcome to the second rotation of this amazing episode of Leadership of the Fo- Leadership of the Fools. Hmm, I maybe know. we should change the name. Why not? I'm open. I'm open. Why not? Um, as always, Colin Beattie is here to uh, cast his eye upon my poor grammar. And your uh, list is where at what now? I've expunged my list in the in the little interval that we've had. I've gotten rid of all top ten lists that could have could have or could. Uh, would have ever existed in my I'm mind. I'm feeling surprisingly relieved by that yep. decision. That's good. I, I'm always willing to reinvent myself and how I see the world. Uh, now, amazingly enough, Ben Lemon, who was in part of the first rotation, he jumped over the starboard bow, swam around and climbed back up at the port side. Ben Lemon's back. Sneaky move, I know, that's, but I'm here. That's amazing. I don't even need to warm you up because you are, cl- I mean, apart from the fact that you're quite wet from your swim, I mean, you're, you're as warm as I've ever seen. People do call me wet. That's, that's, <laughs> not, that's not odd. Uh, but the new crew member here today, he has, he's come by traditional me. I think he helicoptered in, which is unusual but exciting. It's David Henderson. I know. Thank you. I'm a bit dry, so you're going to have to wet me up. No, that's what, that's what we're here for. Yeah, Lubrication of the mind. I love it. Um, now, we've got a little warm-up question. It's uh, what excites you about being part of the next generation of leaders? Wow. Uh, that's a big question, but I think... Uh, I think it's about the this this generation moving from being disrupted to the disruptors, mm-hmm. and I think that's really exciting. So if you can't uh, do or be the change, you got to be part of the change. And, and I reckon, what from what I can see, we're doing a pretty good job of it. And I, I see it coming more and more into the field. So awesome time. Yeah. Now you're doing fine. I give you four stars. Out of how um, many? 
it's all relative. That's <laughs> out of ten, not so good. Yeah. Um, uh, the caveat to that question, that's not the right word, I don't think, is um, the flip side of that question, that's probably a better phrase, is uh, what scares you about being part of the next generation of leaders? Hmm, so much keeps me up at night. Um, I'd probably <laughs> say um, that organisations won't move fast enough to accommodate what the expectations of this generation are really looking to do or, or challenge themselves. Yeah. And so you hit a bit of a frustration point, tension point between what you want to do and what the organisation will let you do. The ADHD generation mm. wants things moving faster, more, more, no, quick. sound generation Y, I'm really X. <laughs> and is that a factor of uh, the existing uh, established leaders not letting Ooh, go? Now you're getting or... personal, aren't you? Mm. Oh, look, not I think it's names. partly both. I won't sit on the fence. Now nah, look, it's them. Now nah, the baby boomers have to go. No, I, I mean... <laughs> you heard it here. I've read that somewhere in a headline. <laughs> right. uh, the baby I, boomers are in my top ten list of... Oh, no. no they're not <laughs> people to take out. Uh, no, I think... I mean, you get exceptions across the board. I think it's... Um, I think culturally, like, you know, you, even you can get an inspiring leader, but culturally the, the, the machine can't really kind of shift its thinking quick enough. Right. Um, but I think that's part of our role to help accelerate that as well, right? So we've got to sort of band it together with other inspiring leaders and then help bring the organisation through. I like it. Beautiful. I like uh, our crew. We do have a uh, we do have a topic for discussion here today. Uh, we're, we're on the subject of innovation, I believe. It's can you teach an organisation or team how to be innovative? Oof. Uh, you yeah, so let me kick it off it's it's again one of those words you hear it a lot in fact i think it's getting to a point where people don't want to hear it anymore uh how to be more innovative and yet uh there are still organizations investing a lot of money a lot of effort uh paying consultants (laughs) a great deal of money to create innovation and the question is can you actually teach it uh, or is it about addressing other things? Got to be uh, careful not to scare off that cash cow, Colin. No, uh, that's right, that's right. Keep encouraging organisations <laughs> so to crave innovation. Of course innovation. you can teach it. <laughs> Absolutely. So you maybe can we and must teach it. <laughs> uh, Dave, we invite you first. What's your sense of it? Yeah. Uh, look, so innovation, yeah. Uh, probably moving to corporate wank word, but it's still got a place, I reckon. Um, now, can you teach an organisation? I'm, so sh- I'm not so sure. And, and I don't think you really want to because, you know, if you if you get innovation popping up every place in the organisation, you may not be innovating in the right way. So for me, it's about um, it, it's almost like a skill. It's it's, it's a, you, you get a doctor in when you're sick, uh, you get finance in when to fix your accounts. You don't want everyone doing your, your tax for you. And I think you need to get someone or people in or a team in that can specialise in innovation to make sure that you're investing time and resources in the right place. Mm-hmm. Now, whether the organisation accepts it, you know, sometimes it's organ rejection, but um, I think definitely, and personally as a consultant, it was a good cash cow for me, FYI, <laughs> yes. in the past. We so, cannot speak highly enough of bringing in consultants <laughs> to help consultant. with innovation. That's we right. just, uh, honestly, if especially, you take anything away from this podcast. Yes. Yeah, especially those with an improvising background. Uh, Improvisation can really kickstart your, inno- your innovation culturally uh, as an organisation and, and individually. Uh, there's no end of parallels that can be drawn um how where are you where do you stand on this ben i'll start with teams because i think organization gets a bit tricky because it's it's big and it's hard but you kind of got to start at a team level and you go well i can think the first thing you need to be clear about what you're trying to do in the first place and i think sometimes short-termism stops innovation so if you really want to be innovative you know you try and push people out into a five-year horizon and get them to think about where things might go and the other one is encourage them to break some stuff because I think, you know, too often we kind of just take the path of least resistance. It's like give them time to critically think. So take them out of the day-to-day for a bit and just go, go and blow that up and come back and say, like, no boundaries. And then it'll always come back into something that is probably a little bit more conservative. But you've got to just get people to think there's no right or wrong. It's not like you have to do it in a certain way. Just go and blow some stuff up. 95% of it's probably going to be a complete waste of time. And I think that's probably where organisations probably suffer a little bit. They can't afford 95% waste. Mm. Yeah, it's a bitter, bitter pill to swallow for an organisation to say, go fail, go stuff up. Yeah, yeah. I think we need to. I, I agree with you, although I'm supposed to disagree with you, but we'll agree with you on that one, um, that that's the case. But I think what, you know, if I, if I can use a C word, but um, if you can empower people to be curious, you know, so empower them to be curious and then give them um, the courage to put ideas forward and then you need a system and a, and a process or a pl- not a process, too much process, but you need a system that helps that idea make it to the forefront that the business can kind of either say, yes, we're going to invest or not, or that it makes sense to do it so that you're not scattergunning around 
shiny new things. It's like a corporate orgasm, right? You know, this shiny <laughs> new thing in out in the system because it feels really good to get that little widget in place, but not necessarily the We've right. We've also place. got the name for this particular yeah, yeah. podcast: corporate orgasm. Yes, good note yeah. to self. Glad, glad um, to be part of it. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Four of us. That's an orgy. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Sorry, that's okay. Um, let's go back uh, to team. So again. I, I have a feeling we already know the answer to this. Teaching innovation is not the answer. It's, it's creating a different culture, a different environment. So you talk about changing the outlook from short term to long term uh, and go break something so that, you know, almost that direction. It's not about teaching because if you tell someone to break something, they can break it. Yeah. Um, and, and then it might be the experience of what did we learn from breaking that? Uh, actually, we learned that there's actually gold in there or there's a gem in there. Um, and then I'm going to circle back to you, Dave, which you've got me thinking not just about the um, CO, but the um, <laughs> but that sense of uh, isolated pockets or expertise around innovation rather than do you really want your whole organisation to... to Ejaculate yeah. <laughs> ideas, you know, or, you know, new solutions. Right. We're trying to stay on theme. This podcast is going to get reclassified right. real quick. That's right. It is definitely MA15 plus <laughs> and getting close to something else. But no, you're right. So, so can I go back to that? In your opinion, um, be very careful about the question of organisation allowing, creating an environment of innovation across the board. Yeah, I, th- I think so. Um, it, it's a dangerous area to play, like ideas and how you generate ideas and encourage people to think differently. So that, I call it like shifting the kaleidoscope, uh, which was a theme for one area that I worked in, uh, the whole strategy was a reimagine, right? So empower people to think differently, to challenge the status quo, yeah. because quite often people are too scared because that's just the way it's done or that's the process written like that. So empower them to do it, but then there needs to be a system to nurture the ideas through to fruition yes. and make sure that the right ones come through because we're all constrained by resource or time. Um, and you still got to run a business on the side, right? You can't just go mm. all into shiny new things when you've still got to keep the, you know, the, the, the car running. So, yeah, I think that's the so kind of So it is a functional role mm-hmm. for some part of the business to actually take the ideas, prioritise around them, dedicate resources to them yeah. and actually allow them to flourish. And give the system yeah. for the people to have a voice and yes. for that voice to make its way up. Yeah. But you're going to have to make choices somewhere along the line. Yeah. Right. So, Ben, can I take... Um, extend your thinking because you started with the team piece. What, what's your view at the organisational level? <clears throat> yeah, I think um, if I can kind of even counteract that, so if you hive off or stick a sort of set of people who are great thinkers off to the side and say you go and do the innovation, well then I, th- I think the risk is at kind of a just a coalface level we're missing just those small incremental innovation pieces and I think I guess the one thing you want to influence through the whole organisation is don't be afraid to try and change it. You know, don't just accept that this is the way it is. And I think the curiosity word, which it just surprises me how much it's missing in a lot of people. And, you know, how do you go out and find people who are just instinctively curious? Because it's a, it's a DNA trait. Some people have it, some people don't. So if you want to be innovative, fill your organisation with curious people. Yeah, you know, they're, so I, they're productive. Yeah, and I have a view on this. I, I think it's, it is in everyone's DNA. It gets weaned out. Mm. So it's even whether it's that sense of, uh, you know, if you're trained to be a barrister of law, you're taught to ask questions that you already know the answer to, uh, whereas, you know, curiosity is the antithesis of that. So I think there's something about perhaps corporate life or environment, you know, or that environment or that culture that makes it really difficult. And I think it's always going to be harder to have, um, to sort of encourage innovation um, from the starting from nothing, um, so going for a culture that doesn't encourage innovation to try to, you know, you get innovation fever and you want everyone to start innovating. That's going to be more difficult. And I think sort of um, scattergun innovation is also going to be harder to train into people. You need more focused... You need to know why you're innovating or what you're innovating for or where the innovation is supposed to be leading you and, and all of that stuff. Just sort of expecting blanket innovation across the board is always going to be daunting for people and it's, it's probably going to lead you... Uh, to more frustration than innovation. Yeah, I think I think even the term innovation, just kill it. Just just be really clear about the problem you're trying to solve, and mm. people will come up with a solution. Because I think at its heart, people want to come up with solutions to stuff. But you know, when we talk about innovation, it's something that's forced on people. But just give them something to go and solve, yeah. and people will find a way to solve it. It might be good. Sometimes it might be terrible. Yeah. But you know, like they've had a shot. And I think oh, that's important. Fear of failure is will kill innovation every time. You can't innovate if you're afraid of getting it wrong. I mean, that's yeah. Dave, you you got a branding 
background, is the term innovation dead? Um, that's a really good question. I don't think it's dead. I think you've got to be clear about how you use it. Yeah, it gets it gets used too often for too many things, right? right. You've just got to be specific about what are you trying to innovate. Put a little inverted commas up there, right? And and it is, I think, to your point, right? So from a brand perspective, particularly or an organisation, you've got to look at your customer experience, um, where the pain points are, and then you set the organisation off to go fix it. And that requires you to innovate. Um, but just plugging a new widget here or something for that sake, you know, I think doesn't really serve its purpose. You've got to really kind of focus on it. The phrase itself and what you use, ID generation or ideation or mm. whatever you want, I could throw many kind of wank words in there that you yeah. want to do it. The thing is about what what, what you label it to, to mean to the organisation that's important. Ben, you have a branding background as well. Is the word innovation dead? It's, it's <laughs> oh, look, I'm being inflammatory by saying kill it, but I think it's just one of those overused terms and I think yeah. in, innovation for what purpose? And yes. then it's just if you just get people to go, let's make this really clear. Yeah. Here's the problem. Go and solve it. People will come up with good stuff. And yeah. I think um, just give them license to do it. But I think when you sit in organisations, it just it does astound me sometimes how the problem's not clear. Yeah, yeah. Or we get so focused sometimes on the numbers that we forget about the problem. So is the problem actually the numbers or is it the thing out there that we're trying to solve? And, you know, you look at kind of good innovation slash tech businesses they've usually got this great thing that they're trying to solve and everyone rallies around it so everyone's just heading towards the same direction and let's say innovation just follows as opposed to people set out to be innovative they just try and solve a problem at the outset yeah and i think you've got to make the problem tangible like sometimes the problem's too big and then it's like what the hell am i going to do with that but if you break the problem down into series of things then you can go all right the solutions become a lot easier to find i'm liking it we are uh, rapidly drawing to a a conclusion to this second leg of our of our flotation exercise sailing that's what it's called um and um i think we've we've bloody well nailed it i think innovation has gotten a burial here today uh, we, are, um, <laughs> we have officially buried innovation we've also extended an r-rated our first ever r-rated version yeah, of yeah. leadership of fools the sauciest leg of the journey so far, so far. Uh, where, where do you where do you sit in it all now colin i've i'm actually sitting with the level of clarity that it's about problem solving mm-hmm. and i don't even want to say any more about it it's about problem solving he refuses to say another word <laughs> uh thank you so much for joining us for this second leg um please make your way to the life rafts and uh ben if you try to swim around again i will be equally disappointed and amazed i'm gone i'm gone <laughs> Welcome back to the third and final uh, voyage of this exciting uh, esoteric cruise that we've embarked on today. Uh, we are, as always, right here, keeping the wind in the sails. It's Colin Beatty. Oh, it's been one of those days, one of those fantastic days, actually. Sometimes, it's been great to be on the ship. Sometimes this ship life is amazing. Ship. I, uh, I've got to clarify. <laughs> Every time I say ship, I'm saying ship. Uh, we actually haven't told our two guests yet that the last episode was almost very R-rated. Yeah. Things close are getting to saucy here. Things quite, are getting saucy, saucy on the ship. That's right. It was uh, a first, first for us. But we've got a fresh new crew uh, mm. who've joined us on board. Um, and first, firstly, let it be it's my pleasure to introduce Gina McCartney. Hello. And any uh, loyal shipsters out there might have remembered Gina McCartney got banned. Her name got bandied about quite a lot during the live episode. She submitted one of the all-time great uh, topics for discussion. Oh, Rick Brown, I you was changed nothing... your mind. No, I remember quite vividly how impressed I was with Gina McCartney's work and uh, I could not wait for the day for her to join us on the ship because I thought, now there's someone who's got a head for business. Uh, I think I said something along those lines during the live uh, during the live podcast. Uh, so, Gina, Gina McCartney... What, no, you... before you do, Gina, what was your recollection? <laughs> yeah, see, I recollected as you highlighting what a poor answer <laughs> and I think even how poorly written the question was <laughs> that you posed to the panel on that night, thinking uh, I was embarrassed and I had to leave the room with my head hung in shame. <laughs> yeah, I think... That's how I felt, I think yeah. We listen back to it and look at the subtext, though. I think it's all in the subtext. Uh, so, it is... It's a pleasure to have Gina McCartney on board. I'm going to warm you up with the question we've had going around uh, all episode. It's what excites you about being part of the next generation of leaders? What excites me is being able to put what is deep in my heart uh, out in front of a group of people and absolutely lead the charge. 
Excellent. And uh, just to peer into the darkness for a second, what scares you about uh, being part of the next generation of leaders? That that thing is that thing that is deep in my heart is completely wrong, and I completely screw it up, and no one wants to follow me. <laughs> so just basic human fears. Uh, yeah, just stuffing it up, nibbling at the edges. Yeah, uh, that is fair, and uh, we welcome your board. Yeah, you, I'm, I'm intrigued by what's deep in your heart. Yeah, it's I'm, evil. Yeah, right. If you had the R rated in the last episode, this is the Z rated. The Z rated. Yeah. Wow. Her heart oh. is just full of well-written uh, topic prompts, I think. Uh, rounding out the crew the, for this final leg of the voyage is Damien Zara. No, oh, thank you. I'm bringing it home. Yeah. Glad to be here. We've got the heavy <laughs> no, hitters yeah, on, the, on yeah. the final leg. No pressure. No pressure, yeah. Because um, yeah. you can help us start bailing out if we start taking on water. <laughs> you guys are here to get, get us back safely to harbour. Uh, right. So, Damien, uh, what excites you about being part of the next generation of leaders? Uh, fascinating question. Oh, I think we've got a great opportunity to um, impact the lives of others at a, you know, at a, at a deeper level. So I think it's a privileged position. That, that really excites me. It comes obviously with risk as well. Um, but I think the opportunity is probably what excites me most. Yes, and what yeah. scares you on the flip side? Uh, what scares me? I think something. I mean, I, it's funny. I've listened to some of your podcasts previously. The imposter syndrome is something that mm. I resonate with. So, there are times where you might stand up and go, "Well, you know, can I do this?" And you sort of question yourself a little bit. So, there are elements of that that are, you know, that sort of keep you thinking and guessing it all the time. So that's probably a little bit about what I'd fear. Mm. And we definitely have the heavy hitters. Oh, I'm good. Very, it's very impressive I mean, opening. Shout out to all of our previous guests, but you were, <laughs> you were just an entree. You say that to everyone, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. We'll listen to every single episode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let's launch into the topic uh, before the sun sets. It's shouldn't organisations and teams be used to change by now? Question mark. So as a consultant, um, we still get, I think, we lots of money, lots of investment uh, to help organisations through change, mm -hmm. uh, rectify change that has gone very poorly. Uh, and I'm kind of really curious about this idea that, you know, for my 20 years of practising, mm -hmm. uh, change has been omnipresent and yet it still seems as... They're as surprised by it as ever. Yes. They're like, absolutely. what? Change? Yeah, change. I feel like this whole voyage has been you trying to shoot your own business in the foot, Colin. <laughs> right. It's just like, all these things that I make money from, shouldn't they stop doing that? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, so I'm very curious about your, both of your perspectives. Uh, Damien, what's your sense? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think, um, I mean, there's the, the adage that, you know, change is the constant and, I, you know, I was thinking about this. If I, you know, if I was interviewing someone for a role and, I, you know, and the, the value prop was come and, come and join us, nothing will change and we'll be the same forever and they said, yes, you know, I'd be worried and I think they should be worried as well. So I think on the basis that, it, you know, we expect we have to evolve um, but at a very human level and with a psychology element over it, um, it frightens people. And we are creatures of, of habit and we like um, predictability and we like to know what sort of, you know, what tomorrow looks like. In the moment, there's a risk um, element to that or you don't have all the data points to make informed decisions is really where people get anxious. So, yes, you know, it, it's, it's a constant and, and, you know, it should be the norm, but it makes people feel really uncomfortable at times if done really poorly. Um, but then on the other hand, when it's done really well, there's huge opportunity to be realised. Yeah. yeah. Gina, your sense? Yeah, I think um, a big challenge is that change has so many negative connotations that, you know, there's change managers and normally when a change manager comes in the room or a change management process, it's, um, you know, it's, it's coupled with getting people through a difficult time. Yes. And I think a big learning for me has been everyone defines change differently and until you really understand that, it's going to be impossible. And I think back to the episode when Caroline was talking about well, if someone had, you know, mastered this, we'd be reading the book and none of us would be struggling yes. with it. Yes. I think it's such a personal topic that it's actually not a... It's, it's an organisational challenge but a very individual problem. Yeah. So now I'm getting a sense from both of you. At an intellectual level, I think everyone kind of gets it. Like, even the way you framed it, if I, if I um, apply for a job, I expect something to change. But in that moment when it happens... 
I don't even know what that personal reaction will be. Like if, mm. you know, e.g., if I'm uh, changing all other parts of my life, getting married and buying a house, and suddenly this it's the third change that takes place at work where you see me at my absolute worst. Yeah. I think if the um, I think if the narrative or the why is really compelling, right, and it's just an absolute no-brainer, it can really galvanise people and teams to be able to get behind it. Yes. But where the narrative is really unclear, um, the why is not you know it's, it's it's not really clearly articulated. That's when questions start to surface and all the corridor stuff mm. um, yeah, starts to happen and people start to question it. Yes. So I think um, I think the narrative is just critical. Right. Upfront. Right. So what I'm hearing with clarity is if organisations and leaders got better at answering the why question and building a, building a story that makes sense for people or compels them to act would make a really big difference. I think it comes down to what the change is or what the narrative around the change is. Um, so I guess we discussed in the in the last leg of the voyage we were, we were focusing on innovation mm. and if you're striving for innovation that you would imagine is going to bring about a certain level of change if you start innovating in certain areas that's going to that's going to bring about a change but it's hopefully a positive change and one that will be easier to embrace and because it's it's propelling you forward in a way that you are that you were hoping for whereas if i guess you're getting change from outside forces or negative change or if your business model's being disrupted by something you weren't expecting and you're forced to change and adapt in a way that's more damage control Mm. That's the, I guess, the harder change to cope with because it's outside, it's outside of your control, and you feel like you're just in damage control, change mode. Yeah, yeah. It's dark side change. It's dark side change. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So is that the change that uh, businesses struggle with? Do you think? Uh, I'm now wondering whether we have a lot to answer for when I say we. Um, you mean you specifically? <laughs> I mean, well, anyone who's been involved in change that has been clumsy and clunky and uh in fact i think change the, the change managers walking in is often code for the leaders haven't owned this and they've outsourced it um so um what am i really saying i'm saying i don't think people trust organizations a lot because of their history mm-hmm. um and i which reminds me of a, a ceo who i worked with we, we galvanised around a very exciting change and we knew it was exciting, but the reaction was that is code for cost-cutting and that is code for job loss. So you, And to overcome that narrative, which was embedded in people's psyche, was really, really difficult. difficult. Yeah. yeah, and it can be really difficult to come back from. Yes. So, so it's interesting when you, you know, I meet candidates who come through for interviews as part of my job, you know, sort of week to week, and when you ask them about their experience in organisations, generally the bits that come up that have negative connotations, there's always been a change element where it's been done really, really poorly. So it can be really difficult to come back from. But when done really well, you know, there's advocacy that's there that you can capitalise on as well. Yeah. So I can go – and generally, I mean, there's an industry around change because it is done so poorly, quite broadly. <laughs> yeah. um, Good money to be made. Yeah, yeah. In poor change decisions. Yeah. yeah. And the time, I think, the speed to change too, I think um, when I've seen it done really poorly, um, it's this ridiculous turnaround of four weeks to completely, you know, restructure an organisation and that's to meet a maybe a potential seasonal factor or a yes. you know, financial year. Yeah. It's going to be a clean cut to do it before 1st of July. Uh, but that's when, that's when there's huge risk or the opposite, which is um, change being talked about forever. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And just it's just, no oh, for goodness sake, God, when's it going to actually happen? Like this is – so uh, there is some – so in a way, I think the two of you are really helping with that sense of get the narrative much more clear, get the timing right, uh, support people in the right way, treat them like adults, communicate yeah. with them. Like there's some just basic some basics. stuff. I think um, – and I also think that empowerment – Mm. Yeah, whilst all the decisions, whether the change is forced on you or not, if you can empower people with information so they can make decisions in Sorry. their best interest, that, that's a really that's a mm. nice position to be in. Yeah, and that's they, something. Well, at the time, they might not they might not quite accept it, but but reflective, they might go, actually, I made a good decision because I had the information. Yeah, Damo, you and you talk a lot. And in fact, we've talked together about this um, the idea of leader led change, yeah. and I think it's it's actually worth 
naming that because you know the alternative is mm. uh, a consultant-led change yeah. or a yeah. board-level led change um what does that mean for you yeah it's interesting i mean i think you know so if if i think of some of the best people or best leaders i've ever worked for they've been courageous they've been ambitious they've been um uh, i guess honorable type people so and when they have led change they've owned it and they've stood out the front um and that they kind of they're in the arena with you um so that, that always rallies the troops really really well i think the moment that your leaders sort of step back Um, and don't own the change is kind of where it becomes a bit problematic. So the leader-led piece for us is where, you know, every success story when we think of change programs has always been leader-led. Ownership, accountability um, and really taking people on the journey, just critical elements, I think, in any change program. And how much does that resonate with you, Gina? Yeah, 100% resonates with me. And I think the other piece that I found quite useful when sort of, I guess, past the moment of change and it's then dealing with the change is showing a level of vulnerability as well. Right. Um, not to let go of any of accountability, but to show that it's okay to, to feel something. Yes. And But to lean in quite hard with teams and, you know, I think, again, Carolyn is the example of an off-site getting people together, but having quite a potent discussion, airing sheets, let everyone um, in front of each other discuss how they're feeling and then to resolve that. And I found that's a really quick way just to let people feel heard um, also show that you want to listen and that you have a human side. And yeah, because yeah. change equals resistance, meaning meaning no matter how exciting it is, and I know I've used the metaphor of no matter how exciting snowboarding sounds, um, the prospect of me spending thousands of dollars and time in the snow is not, you know, that, that change is really daunting to me, yeah. no matter how compelling it sounds. Um, but, I'm, but also think well, I'm resisting that for a whole lot, lot of reasons so no matter how much you try to convince me, just create an environment where I can express my resistance and maybe you can talk me out of it. But if I don't get a chance to talk about what I'm worried about... It festers. <laughs> it festers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you often song. get... Um, it's, change is often... Uh, you'll hear a chorus of people uh, or viewpoints telling you that change is necessary and so you'll hear those voices and you'll go, oh, let's implement some change. And it's only when you start implementing change that you start to hear the, the even louder chorus of people who, who didn't want change, yes. who were happy. And so it's, it, you only hear the opposite opinion of what's going on sort of thing, you know, that, that the whole um, silent minority, majority uh, thing. Yeah, I've often found that when change occurs, the, you felt like everyone wanted change until you start to change and then you, yes. you, you hear the loud chorus of people who are like, we didn't want change. <laughs> and you're like, ah, oh, I was pretty sure everyone was going to be on board. Yeah. Oh. Rick, I know we're probably close to a close. We I'm are pulling into Harbour. Pulling Harbour. But I'm, I'm curious as to uh, specifically why the two of you chose this topic. What, what was important to you about this topic? So reminder, topic being, you know, shouldn't we be used to change by now? Uh, I'm happy to let off. Um, look, I think it's so important because it impacts lives. And I think at a humane level, um, we've got a responsibility, to, you know, in organisations to um, to the best of our ability um, to be transparent with people when there are when there is change underway. I think um, there's huge opportunity to do this better than what we have in the past. Um, and so I think, yeah, so I think the potential is enormous. And, and I don't necessarily know as an industry and, a, and as a community if, we, if we've nailed it. I think we've still got plenty of opportunity. So I, I think I'm passionate for that reason. So, so we can do it a whole lot better. Oh, I and, think we can, yeah. in, Because it impact, impacts humans, the people experience, the human experience, it's, it's worth it. Yeah, worth it's it. profound. And I think it could be um, – I think there's enormous opportunity when done really, really well. Yeah. yeah. And it's uh, – that thing about change narrative, I think, because you are dealing with the human experience and humans relate to narratives uh, in all facets of their life. So getting the change narrative right uh, is half the battle, I think, when you're, when you're trying to get change implemented. Gina? I'm, I, f- I feel like I've really succeeded through change. I don't right. know whether it's a... I don't know. So you thrive. I thrive in change and yeah. I get excited by change and mm. I look for change. Yes. And change? Change, 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 oh, change, 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 change. That could be a song. Um, <laughs> but I feel like other people really need to be encouraged to look at the brighter side of change a lot. And so at least once or twice a week I'm talking about looking for the, the positive or looking for the silver lining in change or creating the opportunity for the change or you drive the change. And, yeah, I, I think for me it's, the, it's a really optimistic outlook on change and 
that's why I'm particularly passionate about it. That's really, it's quite selfless of you in the sense that you thrived in it, and but you're passionate about helping others. Absolutely. To do, to do the same. Gina McCartney, change junkie. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like I'll wear it. my T-shirt next time. I like it. And I'm going to go right back. What is in your heart? That oh. sense of, you know, the leader, you, you want to kind of reveal that to others. <laughs> <laughs> or is that really unfair right at the end? Oh, it's a big one, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? That's right. Just Before I want to get close it really out, open right. up your heart. I want to get it really show us what's right. <laughs> yeah, I feel like... I feel like that is a big one to land yeah, on. That's me. a whole other podcast. <laughs> that's right. Gina yeah. McCartney's heart, we'll call it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's a couple of hours. Well, but... all, all I would, um, sorry, all. Um, I think both of you reveal that to us, like the human side, like that's that sense that um, organisational life is difficult, change is difficult, uh, and yet you know allowing people to flourish. And allowing them to grow and reach their potential actually is, makes a really big difference. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, I think that's all the time we've got. Uh, unless you've got any final thoughts, Colin. Sounds like that was a good wrap up, though. You really, it was almost like an exclamation point. Uh, just to wrap up again is that sense of um, I think the reason this topic is still on the agenda is because historically organisations have been crap at it. <laughs> uh, and it has a really bad brand, brand reputation mm. or an experience reputation. And there are a new generation of leaders mm. are going to actually take this much more seriously and invest in it properly. And Colin is sick of money. He's just sick of getting sick. all the money. <laughs> it's like, what am I going to do with all this money? <laughs> Guys, just get used to change so I don't have so much money all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Colin. We all feel for him. Oh, thank, um, you. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on board the ship for the final leg of the journey. Uh, you've been delightful. Um, this sh- ship is pulling in. We're dropping anchor. And I'm off to get a mojito. Wow, season one. So pumped and definitely so proud. A massive, massive thank you to all who have shaped it, all who have listened and all who've engaged with it. I'm gonna give a couple of shout outs here. Uh, First of all, to our guests, incredibly generous. Some of the people who've particularly guided me, Kate, Nat, Derek, Alice, Simone, Carl, Andrew, amazing. Lander and Rogers and MYOB, the people behind the scenes, Ryan and Paul, couldn't have done it without you. And my on-air colleagues, Amanda Buckley and Rick Brown. So much fun and so much talent. Thank you and bring on season two, which I can absolutely guarantee bigger, better, some guests you will absolutely recognize and some topics that will really challenge your thinking.